and welcome to the Free Like Me podcast by FLM. This podcast aims to help people like you navigate the world of financial planning. We'll be delving into things that we and our clients care about, talking about hot topics, and inviting you to get to know our team a little bit better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Free Like Me podcast. I am Ben Smith one of the advisors here at FLM, and I'm delighted to be talking today about share schemes. Share schemes continue to cause headaches for many employees that we meet. Uh, This is very much a world that is littered with jargon and acronyms, but it has the potential to be one of the most lucrative forms of remuneration for anyone who is lucky enough to be in a share scheme. Typically, a lot of uh, tech firms, particularly from America, are some of the biggest providers of share schemes these days. And it can often leave many of our clients feeling like they don't know where to turn and they don't know what to put on their tax return and they don't even know what to do if they were ever going to sell some of these shares. So I've got two perfect guests with me today. Joining us uh, for the third time, I think, on the pod is Rob Griffiths our tax director here at FLM and long-term member of the team. Rob, great to have you back, mate. Great to be here, Ben. Um, It's a topic that's very close to my heart, having uh, been involved in it for many years. So I'm really looking forward to um, busting some of that jargon and hopefully helping people get a better understanding of, of how they can benefit from these sort of schemes. Well, that is your nickname, the jargon buster. So it's great, great to have you on. Um, my second guest is uh, the perfect person to compliment the jargon buster, and that is Robert Hines. Rob is one of our advisors here at FLM, and he is going to give us the other side of the fence, as it were, and look at some of the ways in which, as people go through the life of having a share scheme, what they can do on the financial planning side. So, Rob, first time on the pod, I think. It is. It is indeed. I'm actually a bit disappointed I haven't been invited before, to be honest. You know, I think because there's only space for one Rob in this world, so this is going to be a bit of competition between the job and someone who I usually go to to bust the jargon for anyway. Yeah, so so we've got two Robs here. We've got Rob Griffiths and Robert Hines. So so I think if I if I go for for Robbie, and that that's going to be to you, Rob Griffiths, and uh, Rob will be you, Rob Hines. Just that's so everyone's fine by me, mate. That's fine. Good. <laughs> right. So why are share schemes a headache for employees? Um, I guess because there's such a variety of share scheme and they can be very technical and just in terms of the the sort of number of ways you might be acquiring the shares and what the the employer is trying to to achieve in terms of when they're releasing shares, the tax implications and so so on and so forth. For for the layman that doesn't have an in-depth knowledge of that, it can be really challenging to understand what does it mean to, to them monetarily what is their tax position on acquiring the shares? What's their tax position on a tax position on an eventual sale, and so on? And it's you know it is just not a particularly user friendly thing for for the average bot, um, really. Yeah, and what what are the key types of share schemes? To recap, what are the key types of share schemes we we come across then? Um, well, the key ones. I mean, it, it could be an option scheme whereby you're You've got an option to acquire shares at a later date. You could just be receiving shares just as a straight up reward. You could be purchasing, purchasing them at market value or a discount and everything in between. I'm sort of 
I'm loath to sort of drill down into very specific schemes because, you know, they are very sort of specific to to their sort of, um, <clears throat> I guess, their own identity. Um, and you could basically just sort of end up just sort of rambling about how a very specific scheme would affect a very specific employee. Whereas I'm sure anyone listening to this, you know, there could be a wide range of people um, involved in a wide range of different schemes. I guess we just want to sort of give them an idea of um, what are their key considerations that perhaps just sort of transcend the the definitions and so on. Yeah, and I think when we look at some of the language that's used around share schemes, there's, there's terminology like ESPPs, there's, there's share matching rules. You know, it, it is enough to leave someone feeling pretty, pretty uh, lethargic and, and cause quite a lot of inertia to, to even address these these sort of things. So, Rob, obviously, you're, you're or Robbie, should I say, you're responsible for um, helping clients file their tax returns, report these properly, but plan around them. Um, Rob, coming over to you, where does your role come in as a financial planner alongside Rob? Well, I mean, as a financial planner, generally when people first approach us um, for advice, it would mean that they've already had some shares that they've acquired from the company or been given or, you know, some of the other options that Rob's mentioned. And next thing they come to vest and they have a huge tax bill that they weren't aware of or they could have been taxed in a number of different ways on these schemes. So they'll come to us to find out exactly how they can maybe reduce the tax bill or if there's any other planning opportunities to take advantage of, of some of the reliefs and allowances that HMRC give them. Um, and, you know, it's a pity because a lot of people only take this up after they've already been stung by the first tax bill or not making taking advantage of what their um, allowances are. So they'll come to me, ask a few questions, and then I'll end up going to Robbie G um, to ask him a few questions if there's a bit more, as he said, in detail or specific requirements around a certain share scheme to, to kind of get around that. So having the, the, the tax advisor and financial planner alongside each other obviously gives all of that benefit and means you can look at both sides. Um, a little bit of a follow-up question on that. You know, How often do you see people where maybe they become overexposed to the company they work out and there's, there's, there's maybe too much risk on their side? I mean, that is one of the main reasons we, we speak to clients because if you think about it, if they're working for a specific company, getting paid from the company, usually receive a pension, any other sort of benefits, and then receiving shares on top of that as well, it means that they'll have a huge exposure just to you know, one, one company. And a lot of the time there's, um, you know, how can I say, risks involved especially when we talk about in, in investing if you're investing into a single company that's usually a high risk strategy um so when we're speaking to clients and they have you know so much exposure to one company it's usually a high risk strategy for people that are a little bit older and don't have that appetite for risk so using up allowances and and, and allowing them to diversify away and use other tax efficient investments to kind of still keep the money invested but maybe with not such a high risk approach to to investing. Yeah, yeah, and and Rob, on your side, obviously, uh, a lot of uh, individuals out there will have some, I guess, guidance from their employer. But but where does your advice come in there? And and yeah, where where does that where does that join on? How how good is that guidance from employers? I mean, it varies so massively, Ben, um, from firm to firm. I mean, there's there's such a broad spectrum. 
So you might you might have someone who's a, a senior executive in a, a medium-sized firm, and they're acquiring their, the shares in sort of two or three tranches. And then the guidance might, might be fairly straightforward there. Um, they've acquired some shares, perhaps they won't really capitalize them until there's a very specific event like a company takeover. Or you could be an employee in a multinational acquiring shares through a number of different plans within those schemes on a monthly basis over a number of years. That company might be more geared towards their, say, American employees, for instance. And while they've got better at this over the years, and there's often portals and very lengthy documents trying to help people understand what it means to them, it's very rare that you come across someone that has a clear understanding of their share scheme that they're participating in and all the sort of myriad of, of tax rules that are surrounding it. So mm. yeah, you know, definitely, the I would say there's a huge amount to be achieved by getting professional guidance, even if you do think that you understand it, because you might understand the specifics of your scheme. Do you understand the UK capital gains tax regime and how to sort of establish the tax position on the sale of the shares? Chances are no. Yeah, and I'm really conscious that we don't want to get <clears throat> bogged down into the logistics of, of filing a tax return, but it is a real thing and it's it's something that a lot of people do get wrong. And when we look back at people's tax returns with share schemes and often they haven't been reported in the correct way. Mm. And obviously that can cause problems later down the line. And, and I don't think we need to dig into those details, but I'm wondering, Rob, whether you could give us an example of where our advice can help in terms of tax savings. So obviously, you know, it's all very well reporting these things correctly, which is great, but, but how would we, we help um, a client save tax? So this is coming up to you, Rob G. Um, well, initially, understanding what the tax tradition is, is, is really, really key. Um, if someone's uh, built up a, a sizable sort of holding of shares in a, in a listed company and there's, you know, that's effectively a liquid asset because there's a market for them, they might, may want to be selling down to utilise <coughs> their capital gains exemption each year, which you can make a gain of 12300 perhaps transferring shares to a spouse, a lower earning spouse, perhaps using their capital gains exemption, their basic rate tax band, where the, the gain would be taxed at 10% rather than 20%. I mean, those are real just sort of no brainers. But on, <clears throat> on the flip side, knowing how many shares to transfer or sell to achieve those tax savings is very likely to sort of be, be beyond the sort of the capabilities of, of the, the average Joe, purely just due to the sort of um, the intricacies of the UK tax system, also just the, the pure admin behind accumulating that data. Likewise, it could be someone going through a company takeover and that could come in various different forms, cash proceeds, shares in the um, <clears throat> in the purchasing company and so on. And again, there's there's release potentially available there, business asset disposal relief, formerly entrepreneurs relief. Are you making the claim correctly? And so on and so forth. So, you know, there's 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 a lot of ways there that that um, we can help someone um, reduce the tax as, as well as just purely understanding what it means to them. Yeah, useful. And it's it's funny, isn't it? You, you've listed a load of things there, but but we've only really scratched the surface on on what can be done. So mm. Rob H, coming to you, where does your advice lead on there? And and let's say someone is selling, selling what, do, what do they do at that point? 
I mean, there's a number of different things that you can do and obviously a number of different things that receiving shares impact that most people don't really even know. So firstly, like um, Robbie G said, you may get a, a tax bill. You know, you, the, the shares that you receive may take you over a limit where you start losing certain allowances like pension allowances or your personal allowance, that which most people aren't aware of. Um, and therefore, you're getting a double tax whammy on that and you, you, you didn't even know it. So using things like... Um, you know, taking it from an environment where you pay tax on it, moving it into something like pensions or something known as VCTs or what we call venture capital trust, which is smaller companies where you get tax relief for investing into those types of schemes are generally the type of planning ideas that, that would put in front of people. So moving it from a taxable environment to a tax efficient environment is, is generally what I'd work with Robbie G on to, to decide what's best moving forward for some of our clients. Yeah, and, and and again, so, so many areas when you're selling shares, there's there's so many homes for that capital, and, and it might be that you're at a point where you're upgrading your house, or you might need to use your ice allowance or kids' ice allowances. And I think everyone is different, and um, it depends on stage of life, it depends on risk appetite, uh, it depends on when you're going to need the money, all of those sorts of things. So again, taking advice is is super super important because it is going to vary for for everyone you see. Um, so we talked a, a bit about uh, some of the complications of share schemes and some of the headaches. I'm always very keen to try and give our listeners some pitfalls to avoid. So coming to you first, Rob H, um, as a financial planner, what is a pitfall that you've seen when advising clients? I think the biggest pitfall we see and are seeing at the moment is generally a lot of our clients who work at the likes of Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, these type of companies who get a lot of shares um, are experiencing good times with those shares. So they, they, they get attached and emotionally attached to the share where, you know, they've been gifted these shares and they've only seen the value of these shares go up. So in their mindset, they always think this is going to happen. Whereas in hindsight and past experience and past you know, previous years, we know that shares don't always go up, they go down as well. So I think from a, a financial planning side of things, speaking to clients who, who have only been in good situations, that would be our number one or my number one pitfall that I, I come across on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think it's such a good one, but it's so difficult to predict a single company's share price, isn't it? So you know, no one's got a crystal ball. No one knows what's going to happen next with that firm. If you sell 25% of your shares today and it goes up by 50% tomorrow, you, you feel absolutely gutted. And I think I think that's why you need to sometimes ask yourself, what, what would I feel like if the share dropped? You know, how, how would this affect my financial plans? Would a 50% drop in the share price wipe out our longer term goals and, and the, the things that we've been working to? And if it would, then then selling gradually, I think, is a prudent strategy to, to hedge in your bets. And you're never going to get it completely right. Warren Buffett is is famous for saying no one can predict the last 10 percent of a share share price rally. Um, and, and you know, none of us none of us uh, have the ability to really understand what's going to happen today or tomorrow. We can see longer term trends but the short term. It's very difficult. So I think some sort of selling strategy is, is useful to have in mind to avoid that. Um Rob G, coming over to you on the on the tax side, what, what have you seen go wrong in the past? Well, <clears throat> exactly as you said there is people sort of not anticipating the downside. And that's equally relevant when you factor in the, the tax position because they might have acquired those shares, um, paid income tax of up to 45% on that acquisition at that value there, anticipating a growth, but, at, but actually it's, it's then dropped. And they're 
they're not getting that tax back and they're they're now selling at a loss so you know there is a case as you say to have a strategy to think well actually i'll, I'll sell these i've paid the tax at 45 percent, but i'm you know i'm cashing in the value now um and just having a, a strategy that just sort of minimize minimizes that risk i think is uh really important both from an investment perspective but also from a tax perspective and we saw we saw a lot of this particularly when when i was first starting out first starting out in the uh which was uh at the sort of the the cusp of the wave of the dot-com boom and bust where you had people just you know really just reveling in the in the fact that the value of the shares and their the companies they were joining were just going sky high and then almost overnight just getting wiped out and coming along going well surely i can claim back the tax and it was like sorry sorry no you no you can't um you know you took you took that punt and unfortunately that that tax is gone there, there is some recourse in terms of capital losses and so on and so forth but um certainly not the sort of recourse that people perhaps expected because they were they were um <clears throat> You know, just making hay while the sun shined and not really taking sufficient guidance to understand what it, what the downside was as well as the upside. Yeah, really true, and um, I think we see that see that very frequently in our role. Um, I know that we talked a little bit about the fact that share schemes have become increasingly popular in the, in the UK, and I wonder if we could just look ahead to the future. So, coming to you, Rob H. Um, you know, what does the future of, of employment and share schemes look like in the UK? Are they going to become popular or? Well, I mean, we've certainly seen a lot more of it in recent times than we had before. So I think, you know, that's why we so clued up on it and working with other accountants so that we know what's going on. But we're coming across it more and more and more. And I, I think the reason is, I think it used to be a way where they would use it as an incentive to just, you know, retain key employees to the business. Whereas now it seems to be a way of giving the employees a vested interest in the company and, you know, giving them an opportunity to have a piece of the company, a slice of the pie, if you like, to motivate them to kind of work hard and, and, and get the company doing well. So, you know, I think future wise, I mean, as you can see with a lot of the American companies they that we work with, they definitely give shares and as, as a remuneration basis. And I think everyone also follows suit. Yeah, and I think I think it's definitely a trend where people that come out of university they they don't necessarily want to go and just work for a big law firm or accountancy firm anymore. They they want to start a business and they they want to have equity. So I think it's that that sort of role of being a risk taker has become more mainstream. I think and um, yeah. employee employers have got to recognise that and continue to provide these. So getting the right advice is only going to become more more and more important. Um, Rob G, any sort of parting words of wisdom from from you as tax director? I think just sort of reiterate some of those, those key points about how important it is to to understand the the ins and the outs of your particular scheme, what it means to you monetarily, what it means from you from a from a tax side of things. It's always going to be a personal decision, and you know there are no sort of one size fits all solutions. Um, but just having that, having that understanding, making sure you've got the guidance, um, <clears throat> um, and looking at the upsides and the downsides, and how to factor that into your your broader financial planning. Yeah, and and same to you, Rob H. I think just like um, reiterating what Rob said, the knowledge and you know 
a lot of the advice or the initial help that you receive is no cost or obligation, but trying to get an understanding of exactly what your situation is and if there is any opportunities for you or, or ways that you can reduce it by using government reliefs and allowances, then having a chat to someone is, is prudent because there's no point in trying to fumble your way through everything and trying to figure it out when you have professionals who know what they're doing. And I think it is an area where advice can add serious value. You know, mm-hmm. people might be able to do certain things on, on their own, but when you've got a day job and you've got all of this jargon and terminology that you don't understand, having someone that you can outsource that to is is extremely valuable and, and, and making sure you don't get things wrong because that's where later down the line, this could cause problems, tax investigations, you know, are, ne- are never a nice thing. And, and if they uncover something, it could mean nasty tax bills down the line. So to make sure you stay on top of it. And I just think logistically, just to close, from, from a logistics perspective, understanding your share scheme. Rob Rob G, what what does someone need to do to understand their share scheme? So if they were dealing with you, how would they how would they make sure they understand it? What would they provide you with? Well, initially we would just want all the relevant documentation relating to the scheme, the scheme rules, any um <clears throat> anything that's been provided by the employer um that allow us to to sort of just read through, be it the sort of restrictions on the stock, um, the the timeframes, so when they're going to receive it, how are they going to receive it, how they're going to be it through exercise of options, just straight a reward of shares, and so on and so forth. And then we can just build the bigger picture for them, establish a base cost for capital gains tax, advise on what the income tax implications are um, <clears throat> on acquiring the shares. Are they part of an approved scheme and unapproved scheme? By that I mean, you know, is it a, a tax efficient scheme or not? And we would um, are typically we then sit down, write a, a report um, that just details all those all those implications, making sure they've got a real good understanding of, of what they're involved in. And equally, we would sort of tie that into whatever financial planning someone like uh, Rob H could give. Yeah, re- re- great. And um, Rob H, from your side, I know when you meet someone, you normally go for a bit of a discovery session, and we we talked mm-hmm. about every client being different. So. So what would you need to know to to add on the follow-on advice? Well, just really understanding the client's position um, in terms of what they have in place, what their goals are, what they're looking to achieve, and really just tailoring our advice to trying to help them achieve the goals that they want to achieve and what are available to them, rather than, you know, a set formula for everyone. Everybody's situation is different, and and understanding that as soon as possible is, is really helpful because that means we can tailor our advice around you specifically rather than just an off-the-shelf solution. Absolutely. Well, gents, it, it was fantastic to have you both on the pod today. Uh, Robbie G, all, always welcome and hopefully we'll have you back again soon. And Rob H, hopefully it was a, a nice introduction to the Free Like Me podcast. <laughs> it was indeed. Hopefully I get an invite too. Maybe not on the same one as Robbie G because Robbie H, Robbie G, Rob, we, we're all Love getting it. a little bit confused with it. No one needs that At least the clients we only need to remember one name. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, hopefully there were some useful bits in there and stay tuned for more podcasts in the coming weeks. Bye.